So pricing is not about how do we get the most out of people. It's about what matches the value that we're delivering. So if your value is not there, if what you're delivering is not enhancing the lives of your members or your sponsors or the people that you serve, if it's not fulfilling your mission as an organization, then you don't really have the right to charge more for it. Welcome to Stingy Talks, the show that brings great ideas and the people that have them together. I'm your host, Caleb Kinchlow, and joining me now is Dr. Michael Tatanetti. He's an association executive, certified pricing professional, and the founder of Pricing for Associations, an organization with a mission to advance associations and their pricing models for financial sustainability. Oh, I love it. Dr. Michael, thank you so much for being with me. Hey, Caleb, thank you for having me on Senji Talks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So the first thing I got to ask you just for for more clarity is what does a a pricing professional even do? Yeah, so um, pricing professionals typically work in Fortune 500 companies. Uh, They're pricing the things that we love. So the glasses that you're wearing, the shirt, uh, your iPhone, your car, um, anything that we use, your, your coffee of choice without naming brands. Um, So typically pricing professionals are working in these organizations and they're doing a mix of analytics, market research. Um, It's both an art and a science. And they're basically helping the sales teams figure out how do we sell the value of what we offer? How do we uh, uh, remove this as a commodity mindset and sell it so that we can have profitability in our pricing? Um, So I've taken that and kind of spun it. I saw a need, I'm, I'm an association executive and I saw a need for pricing knowledge within my field and thought it would be a great opportunity to, to kind of marry the two and bring that pricing and value knowledge to the association space. Um, because even though we're uh, not for profit, it doesn't mean that we're for no profit. We still need to be financially sustainable. So that's most of my peers uh, work in the for profit space. And then I'm over here uh, serving C6s, C3s, et cetera. And how long have you been in that field? Yeah, so I've been in the association space now for five years. Um, Before that, I was in the C3 space. I worked in uh, higher education and then K-12 education. Um, So I've worked in nonprofit pretty much my entire career. Uh, But I went from C3 over to C6. And um, and, and yeah, that's, that's where I plan on staying. I love what I do. <laughs> um, so let me ask you, so of all the things you could have done, yeah. why decide to work in this field? What is it that excites you about it? <laughs> so for the pricing, um, you know, what excites me about pricing is actually the outcomes that, that clients or organizations that I work with can gain and benefit from. So when someone comes to me and they're pulling prices out of thin air and they're not sure what to actually price their membership at or their event at or their educational offering at, to be able to walk them through a systematic process, use data and show them what they can do and what would make the most sense. um, That's a powerful thing, especially because this isn't about greed. So pricing is not about how do we get the most out of people. It's about what matches the value that we're delivering. 
So if your value is not there, if what you're delivering is not enhancing the lives of your members or your sponsors or the people that you serve, if it's not fulfilling your mission as an organization, then you don't really have the right to charge more for it. But when you can charge more, what that means to me is that you're actually fulfilling your mission. And because we are nonprofits, because we are mission-based organizations, when I can help them increase their price, that means that they're fulfilling their mission even more. So for me, um, it's a really special way to help them think about how are they serving, what impact are they making, and how are they fulfilling their mission. So you, you mentioned the, the value aspect of it. So why, first off, why is it such a, a challenge for associations to one, uh, set their value and their mm -hmm. pricing, and then after that, increase that over time as they, as they continue to grow? Yeah, I think that a lot of organizations in general uh, can easily get caught up in, we've always done it this way. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, so for them, they're delivering some value through their current setup of whatever the offer is, right? And the goal, I think, in working through this, it's kind of like your strategic planning. It's saying, how can we get better? What else can we do? What's next? What's next for our members? What's next for our sponsors? And how do we stay at that front edge, helping them go into what's next? So for me, the value piece, it's easy to get stagnant and just say, hey, it works, let it be, we don't wanna rock the boat. But for me, it's exciting to think about what could be. What else can we do? How else can we serve? And then, of course, how do we monetize what we're doing? Um, but for me, it's, it's really about moving the association forward. You know, one thing, Caleb, that I've told um, some of my clients and in different talks is think about pricing right in step with your strategic planning. So as you're strategic planning every three to five years, right now, maybe every few months because of the climate that we're currently in. Um, but as you're strategic planning and saying what could be, keep in step, how do we plan to monetize this? Do we plan to? How do we plan to? And what does that look like? And then what are we doing with that monetization, with that income? What else will that allow us to do to serve our mission even more? So for me, it's about the growth and it's about what else can be rather than staying in the same place. Well, okay. So then in terms of, in terms of determining value, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big one because obviously we know that value is very subjective. I mean, everything we, 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 we purchase is based off of value. Mm -hmm. um, on your website, and I, actually, by the way, on your website, I love how you have so many free like resources on there. Um, so make sure everyone goes to michaeltatinetti.com and check that out. But um, you mentioned that with business, it's not only just a business to business sales, but it's also a human to human sales. Mm -hmm. So just kind of unpack that for me a little bit and also help me understand how associations can use that to set up their, their value proposition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So whether you're a trade association, um, a professional society, or if it's your sponsorship sales and therefore a bit more B2B oriented, um, it, it, for me, it all comes down to human connection. It comes down to relationship and how are we advancing what it is that you want to do? So, you know, the value to me when you're talking about members, again, whether it's um, trade or whether it's society, is going to be how are we helping to advance what it is that you're here for? So if you are a member, some of that value, uh, or whether they're a member and it's membership, or whether it's also your education, certification, your events, anything that those members might be a part of, for me, it's determining how are you helping them advance 
um, based on the mission. So if it's advancing in their career, if it's helping them to gain more education so that they can potentially move up or earn more money, have more um, uh, financial success of their own, um, that's important. That's the way that you serve your members. If it's networking, if it's helping with career boards, whatever it is that you're providing, the value that you're giving, what are you, how are you helping them? But the way that I typically like to frame it in human to human is through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I don't just look at what is the direct feature and benefit, like the typical marketing 101. Um, that's a good place to start and it's needed because we're used to processing information that way. But a way that I like to advance it is think of how else are you impacting that human's life, that person's life. So when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, you think of um, psychological um, uh, advancements and security and safety and belonging, a, a higher purpose. So can you go through Maslow's and map out how being a part of this might help them in their total being of who they are as a person so that you really associate their joining your organization, um, participating in your events, earning your certifications, as helping them as a, as a person um, beyond just the financial benefits. Um, and similarly enough for sponsors as well, how are you helping them? You know, if, if your sponsor, the person that's, that's buying the sponsorship from you, if they can go back to their company with what seems like a great win, a great value packed package where they feel like they can really display their organization well and meet your members, then that allows them to go back to their boss and say, okay, we did it. We got it good. Here's what it is. So to me, overall, it's, it's about connecting with people on that individual level um, and being able to help them where they're at. And how do you do that? That's the value that you provide. Well, I, I, I like that. I had actually never heard the idea of using Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of incorporating that into sales. But if you think mm -hmm. about even like a company like, you know, like Apple, you know, compared to other companies, you know, obviously the other companies, they focus on the tech aspect of it. This is what it does. But Apple, all, every single one of their ads focuses on the emotional and how it makes your life better. And obviously that's why they are like, well, one of the best, yeah. if not the best. Exactly. Exactly. So Apple is not just, and again, I don't work for Apple, so I can't tell you all the behind the scenes, right. but it's not just about the phone. It's about the experience. It's about belonging to a part of an ecosystem, having access to certain apps before anybody else. I know Clubhouse is a huge social app right now that's mm -hmm. like breaking onto the scene. You can only get Clubhouse on an iOS device. So if you want to be on Clubhouse on the latest and greatest invite only social app, You've got you've to have an iPhone or an iPad or some iOS device. So it's providing that. It's providing reliability. You know that if you are stuck on the side of the road, that your phone's going to work. You're trusting your service provider, your cell phone service provider. Will you have good service so that you can call if you need AAA or whomever that provider is? So all of that to me decommoditizes the product. Instead of saying, this is a cell phone, this is a cell phone, which one do I go with? it's not a big difference in just shopping on price. It's about creating a feeling and branding it in such a way that you want to be a part of and included in, and it's going to enhance your life. So that to me is something that associations can learn from business, from for-profit organizations. Um, and it all ties in with pricing and value. Oh, that's good. I, I want to hit on the, the sales, the sales and discount aspect of things, because obviously sales discounts are big. I mean, everyone just kind of you create a discount kind of throws that on the wall and hey, maybe this works, but it doesn't work. But I love this actually on your website, you actually talk about this. Um, you have this quote that says, if, if you discount too drastically, 
And without mm-hmm. proper pricing strategy, your offer can reek of desperation. Mm-hmm. To take me through that. Help me, help me understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of organizations right now are quick to think that their members aren't renewing. What are they going to do? Just It's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. So let's discount. Let's say that it's half off or it's whatever the case is. Um, The problem with that is now, again, this is general advice, right? Across the board. So some situations and specific things might be a little bit different, but in general, I don't think most people need to rush to, in fact, I don't think anyone should ever rush to discounting. I don't think most people even need to discount even right now. I think that what you have to do is focus on your marketing communications. Is it value infused in your communications? So are you value-based marketing, value-based selling, what it is that you do? Um, It doesn't mean that you can't have goodwill and say, we're going to bring this down a bit to help our members because we know that it might be the decision between them continuing membership and having that professional development um, and, and network that they need versus not. But at the end of the day, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't think of is how do the discounts really hit your bottom line and your mm-hmm. profits? And if let's say that your membership is even just $400 per year, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some random numbers. And let's say that you think, well, if we discount it by half, it's a no brainer. People will sign back up at $200. But then you have to look at what are the costs of running that membership. And when you look at your direct and indirect costs for staff, for customer support, when they can't log in and they need help, for publishing whatever it is, like newsletters, journals, um, even if they're digital and you don't print and mail them, but you still have to create them and upload them. Anything that you incorporate into that membership, I would say, what if your membership is costing you at least $100, at least $100 probably to produce annually, maybe even 200. So let's say 100. That means that that 50% off, you just now brought your profits down by 66% because if your profit was $300 on a $400 annual membership and you brought it down to 200, now your profit's only $100. Now, again, you can do that, but then the question I would ask, so if you were thinking of doing that, you sat down with me, what I would say is, are by doing that, are you going to increase your membership sales by more than tripling it? Because if you're not, then your overall revenue goes down. Now, you also have to do some break-even analysis. That This is where it gets science and art. There's the art, the sales, psychology kind of side, but there's the science, there's the data and the hard numbers. You know, if you are only going to lose 20% of your members though, then 20% loss is better than giving half off and losing all of that money. Now, again, part of that might depend on your organization and making it mission fit. You might say, you know what, we're willing to lose the money um, because we want to help everyone that we can. But how many people would you still lose at half off? You have to do that as well. What if you would still lose 10%? Therefore, it's do we lose 10% but keep our profitability or do we lose 20% decrease the price and lose profits as well. So you're not helping that 10% that might've been on the fence based on the discount, but are you really, and then how much more can you help them? Because then you're tapping into reserves. You're pulling out your own money and therefore you can't grow membership or execute new and exciting things that they need in real time by maintaining your price and maintaining what it is that you do. Maybe you can do some in the moment surveys and research and partner and figure out how else can we help them pivot during this time. So for me, discounting doesn't always make much sense. 
Um, I think it's a specific strategy that can be done in a specific way, but not how most people think of it is, let's just try to increase sales by discounting it, it, it. Usually you're going to end up with much less profit in the bank and therefore less ability to fulfill your mission. And to me, that just doesn't make sense. Wow. I, I love that the, 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 the science and the art of it and understanding those, those together is what it takes. I, I love that. That's a, that's a great um, comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, so let's say you, you do the discounts or, or even just the marketing in general. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people miss this in terms of, because I mean, people market all the time. It's so easy to market, especially on like social media, for example. Mm -hmm. What do you do after that? You know, I know that it's the idea of a, it's a marketing funnel is what you call it. Yeah. So, so what, do you, what do you do after that? After you market them, they see your product, they buy the thing, like what's next? Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's about retention and maybe getting the word out. So for me, the funnel is really, you know, going through no like trust factor. They know who you are. They like what you have to offer. They trust that you're a reliable resource. The value's there. They've purchased and it makes sense. Um, for me, from there, it's about maintaining them in whatever aspect they've decided to trust you and spend money with you. Um, it's about introducing them to other parts of what you do. So that's a further funnel to say, okay, you're a member. Now we want you to come to an event. Or, okay, you're a member. Now we want you to earn a certification. Or we want you to be active at you know, monthly luncheons or virtual lunch and learns or whatever it might be that you offer. Um, so funneling them into how else can we help, sharing the value that if you find value in this, how much more would you find over here, but otherwise retaining them. And then I would say the third thing, so moving them through further funnels, retaining them in what they're in. But then the third thing being having them become an advocate and sharing the message of what you do with their peers. Um, that is going to, of course, always sell way more than anything that you can do uh, through ads or email marketing or any other channel of marketing and sales. So getting them to, to share and empowering them to do that. That's one thing that I think that some associations really get right is, you know, create that one cheater cheat sheet on why should you attend our conference? Why should you become a member? Making the case for it, clearly outlining the value and saying, this is why something that they can either share with their boss to make it a no brainer, something that they can share with other colleagues to say, hey, you need to be a part of this and here's why. So thinking about that customer journey, making sure of course that you're delivering on the value though, right? That they're getting what, they, what you promised. If you do that, then they're gonna move into other things ideally, it might take some time, but then there's other funnels, they can spread the word and you'll maintain them as a member or a sponsor. Um, so for me, uh, that lifetime value of who they are as a, as a uh, member or attendee or sponsor is very important. Um, also knowing how to calculate, you know, their lifetime value and how else can you serve. And to me, that goes back to our earlier question of what's exciting about it. It's figuring out how else can you serve them. So by keeping that relationship and that communication open, you get to say, what else can we do for you and see what makes sense and, and what you can scale and offer at a larger um, ability to everyone that's in your audience. Well, you know, so, you know, you mentioned about the, the events. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> with, with, particularly with COVID happening, there's a lot of virtual events. I know you, you do some as well. Yep. <laughs> it, it, the question is, it's how do you even begin to sell an, a, a virtual event? Because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, you know what, I'm just watching this video yeah. online. Yeah. So, so how can organizations, you know, what should they be thinking about in terms of trying to promote or get people to want to join the virtual event? Yeah. 
So there's a lot that you can do. I mean, there's no one size fits all. I see a lot of great things happening. Um, some of the quick things that I would say, I think the number one thing that is going to differentiate you from others will always be the interactivity that you can include. So to me, interactivity has to be the biggest thing that you can kind of focus on that will differentiate, that will help grow and maintain people coming to your virtual events. Um, and I do want to say that interactivity is not just gamification. And I don't say that in a mean way. I think a lot of people focus, have focused on gamification because it was such a buzzword the last five to right. 10 years. Um, and not that it's not good and doesn't have a place, but gamification typically is more of a one-man show. It's I'm trying to collect points and check in at places. I'm competing, but it's about me. It's not a team effort. There's no interaction happening. It's about me doing all the things. Um, interactivity for me is things like at the basic level chat, but allowing maybe some breakout room times where in between sessions, before you go to break, you say, hey, we're going to have 10 minutes. Here's one solid question based on the talk that you guys can talk amongst yourselves. And we're going to push everyone into small groups of four and you have 10 or 15 minutes, talk about it. Then we're going to do our 15 minute break. And if you don't want to participate, you might click out and walk away. But those who do want to participate, that kind of interaction to share ideas and say, what did you get from it? And here's what I think I might do differently. So the interactivity to me is really, really important, keeping the conversation going. Um, I would also add to that, I think figuring out how can you make the event live longer than just the few days or the week that it might be. So I'm not talking about replay. That's, that's known. That's, I mean, again, that's almost a given now and it's good, but um, can you create a community? So if you already have a, a, a discussion board area within your platform, your technology stack, can you create a special area just for the attendees to continue to have the conversation and throw out some questions maybe once a month or have a lunch and learn series based on some of the prior talks or can you create a LinkedIn or a Facebook group and allow people to connect there and continue to ask questions? So how can you go above and beyond the normal membership community aspect and keep the conversation going? Even if it's not for a whole year, maybe it's for a month and each week you have one big question and maybe a Q&A with one of the speakers who comes back. But what are some things that you can do to keep people engaged, make sure that they've watched the replay and that gives more sponsored opportunities as well for exposure for your sponsors. Um, my biggest pricing tip for virtual mm. events, um, so outside of the value piece, the first to me was the value, the second is the pricing. My biggest pricing tip is if there's a way, again, this gets really complicated and it's not one size fits all, but if you want a cheat sheet of where to start, I would say if you can anchor it, either uh, if you have some kind of online, already paid online programming, if you can anchor it against that, to me, that's one of the best quick, easy ways if you don't have time to market research and don't have time to hire someone to help with figuring this out, that to me is the best way. So what I mean by that is if you have an online certification program and what, let's say it's $2,000 and they have to earn so many credits and, 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 uh, hours of training, whatever it might be, before they qualify to sit for the exam. Can you somehow incorporate this conference into that and say, you'll get your hours here and then you qualify to sit and therefore it's a part of the package that they would already be paying for. 
um, or if you normally offer one hour lunch and learns or something to that effect each month and it's X amount, then can you just multiply that out and create it as a series and maybe even elevate it a little bit? Um, there's little things to me that you can do, like giving them a certificate, not maybe not a certification, but you can at least give a certificate of participation saying this is how many hours that the person sat in a training and these are the type of topics that they learned about. So anchoring it against other things that you already do is a good starting place. It's not to me the fullness of what it could be, but it's a, if you're just kind of pulling it out of a hat and figuring it out, to me, that's a good place to start. Okay. Well, if you're an organization, but you don't, you don't have, you know, you don't have that model yet. You don't, you don't have a, you know, the, the classes or the talks. Uh, what's the best way to just to set up even just a price to say, hey, we're, we're an organization, we're going to do a conference, we're going to do speakers. How do we price yeah. that? Is that based off of the, the cost of the speakers? Like, I guess more of a, so, more of a budget okay. question. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good <laughs> okay, so I'm going to answer this question, Caleb, because this is kind of what you just asked me without realizing it. Should I price based on my cost? That's right. kind of, that's kind of, or is that a valid way to price? That's right. kind of what you just said. So I'm going to address that head on and say no. Um, and here's why. When it comes to pricing, for me, it's never about your costs. It's always about the value and the outcome, the transformation. What is it that they're getting? Now, do you consider costs? Yes. Clearly, if something is valued at $20 and it costs you $30 to produce and ship it, then that's not a viable business concept, right? Or if it's even $15, but you feel like, oh, that small profit margin's not really worth it right now. We can have a bigger impact and more profits doing something else. Then that's a business decision that you make. But what you don't do, so what Apple does, I'll use them as an example. What Apple does is they don't say it costs us $100 or 200. It's probably not more than 200 to make an iPhone, right? I, I don't know what it is. But it's probably a hundred, 200 bucks. Yeah they don't say, well, then we just, we're going to market up to 300 or 400 or 500. They say, what are people willing to pay? What is the value? What are we delivering? And that's why we now spend a thousand dollars for this mini computer in our pocket. Now in the association space, I'm not necessarily saying market up that much. Right. right. But what I am saying is, um, you know, uh, 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 let's say your direct cost, let's say that you hire some great keynote speakers and you spend 50,000 on that. And let's say that your in-house staff, knows how to do everything and you've already got the technology, which is not most people. That doesn't mean that you figure out how many tickets do you want to sell and divide it by 70,000 because you might be shortchanging yourself. It's just a piece of the pie. You might, what then if you say, well, we can sell, I don't know, uh, 700 tickets at, at the 70 bucks or whatever. And therefore we're making this much, but what if your online training, if you had that or your in-person event is normally multiple times that like then you're shortchanging. So you don't price just based off of the cost. The cost does need to be considered, but it's not where you start. To me, you start with proper market research, assessing your internal data, looking at the value that you provide and, assign, and, and, and assessing price, assigning a price, and then looking at that against your costs to say, now how profitable might this be? What are our margins? That then also gives you the flexibility to say, we're going to do a give, a make good here, um, because maybe our members can't afford this. So you might say this, if you're employed, your membership price is the same, but if you're currently laid off or underemployed, let's say you're working part-time or you got a full-time job, but it's, it's not in your normal industry. So you're making way less then we're going to give you 50% off your membership. Right. Mm -hmm. 
you might do that as a make good because you know that you can afford to do that. But if they're employed they, and they can afford it, then they can still afford it. So we're not going to do it across the board. Um, so for me, costs, accountants like to typically start with costs mm-hmm. and then add a profit margin on top and call it a day. But you might be leaving money on the table because if Apple did that and we paid $400 for this phone and we're willing to spend 1000 think about how much more they can do, how much more quickly the iPhone can evolve as a product and therefore how much more value we'll get out of it by charging more. Same thing for associations. It's not about greed, but it is about if we can, if we can make a little more on this, how much more can we do according to our mission? Because our money is not going to profit holders, stakeholders. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to our mission. It's either going into reserves or it's going towards more programming. And that's even more value. So why wouldn't you want to do that if you can? And again, if the value matches so that it's not a gotcha for your audience. Yeah, I even think too, you know, about the, I guess even the possible long-term value as mm-hmm. well. Uh, you know, because I saw online the other days that this this guy was charging, it was like two dollars for like this this line of all these speakers, like these high end speakers in terms of doing social media marketing and branding. So I was wondering, like, you know, is is that really, is that a good way to do it? To say, okay, I'm going to charge a, a lower amount to get more people to come in, or is it better to say, okay, well, this is the you know the value here is a skyrocket, so I'm going to keep my my cost at a premium, and if you can afford it, you can afford it. If not, you you can't. Yeah. Um, but both work. So either one, either one can be a good option. It depends on your strategy. Are you trying to be more of a premier brand, a luxury brand or organization? Um, and therefore you're, you're more skimming the top and you're trying to get, you know, the most that you can from a smaller pool versus are you trying to get market penetration, um, market share? Are you trying to go a little bit lower? Either one can work. Um, I'm of the flavor when it comes to associations that we shouldn't be too cheap. And the reason for that is most of what an association offers, if you made a feature list, like if you just got on a whiteboard or got out a piece of paper and started writing out what you offer, the majority of what an association offers is knowledge. The majority of it is things that they can get for free elsewhere. So they can look up how to do certain things, trainings, Uh, they can network, LinkedIn, Facebook groups, they can, find jobs. So what differentiates the association from going to all these different places in the digital space and getting it on their own? For me, what separates an association is that they're kind of gatekeepers to quality. So it's quality content, it's well-produced, or it's quality job leads, it's quality discussion boards that are moderated by the membership team, Um, It's quality social media shares so that you're getting a certain value from it. Therefore, to me, you shouldn't undercharge for what you do. Um, Again, is that a strategy? Yes. But is it the one, especially for an established association, if this were a brand new association, which is rare, but I have, I actually have a client right now that's a brand new startup that we're finishing up a project this week on, and they're taking a different approach than most others, because if you're established, you've already got a threshold of what do you charge? What do you offer? So for them, it's about growing. How do we add value and therefore add revenue? If you're starting, it's a little bit different. Um, but in general, no, I'm, I'm not a fan of give it all away for a low price. Um, cause price is also perception. Yes. If you pay for a low, I, I mean, think about without even naming a car or a brand, 
would you, if you could afford it, would you rather drive a $2,000 car or a $20,000 car? Just out of those two options. Now for me, if I hear a $2,000 car, I'm thinking it's going to break down a lot. I'm going to need to spend a lot of money on maintenance. So I'm probably going to spend close to 20,000. I mean, maybe 10,000 on it, but it's only going to last me a few years. And I'm probably going to put a few thousand more into it for work and tires and the oil pans probably cracked and all that, right? If I buy a 20,000, now depending on what the brand is, but if we're talking uh, a Honda, a Toyota, you know, mm. like a sedan, if I buy a 20,000, it's probably new or relatively new right. in that class. Therefore, I don't have to worry for five to 10 years about it. So I can drive it and know that my car note's pretty much my only expense besides gas and, and tire rotations and oil changes and, and insurance that feels a little bit better. So sometimes people are willing to spend for that, knowing that it's quality and the perception of, I know I can go here, I can find a job, I can network, I can be around the right people and I can advance my, my, my career, which is my goal. That's my provision for myself, for my family. It's going to allow me to grow as a person. So for me, not a big fan of going too low. It's a strategy. Again, I think it's better for products for like, cheap products that are made very inexpensively, not, um, not services, not associations. Right. So the, so the key is to one, articulate what the value is. Yes. And then price yourself based off the value. Correct. And then you need a little more detail to say, okay, well, let me look at the market research and see what are other, in this case, events or what other people are charging for a similar service. Yep. And then go from there. Go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things that I look at when defining the value is internal data, especially again, if this isn't um, new, if it's something that's established, but growing, then look at internal data. What are usage patterns? What do your people care about? What are they accessing? Um, I have one membership where they added something this past year. They had out of uh, 4,000 members, only 30 people access it the whole year. Is that worth it? No, cut it. No one's even going to notice except for those 30 people. <laughs> right. No, st just stop. That's not, then that wasn't, but they didn't properly research in advance. Is this something that would be advantageous? How would it be? They just kind of get a lot of associations guess. They go, oh, digital training. Oh, uh, you know, virtual. Uh, just throw it all in and, 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 and go for it. The same with their prices. They pull it out of a hat literally and go, maybe this and don't, they, they don't ask outside the actual people that will be buying. But I always start with that, with internal data, um, uh, uh, definitely market research, uh, a mix of surveys, focus groups, one-on-ones, competitive research as well. Um, looking at all of that, I honestly usually don't look too much at costs, but like if I'm doing a project with, with someone, I don't even really care to know the costs, but so much until I've done all that. Because um, I want to get a, 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 an unbiased opinion of what is the value and then what should the price be. And a part of all of that, like the focus groups, all that as well, is asking what are we missing? What else could be in? What do you not like? Is there anything that you're like, I don't really care about that? Um, so getting that feedback to tweak it, to optimize it, get the price attached to it, and then market testing it as well to figure out projections. How many people do we think are going to sign up for this? You know, how viable is this um, at scale, especially with associations and virtual right now, a lot of things are very, uh, very much so able to be scaled. So membership, virtual events, um, anything like that, where it doesn't matter too much if you have 
50 people or 5,000 people, your costs might go up a little bit for added users, et cetera, et cetera. You know, your main difference will probably be more customer service needs, but you can hire someone entry level to mm. do that. It doesn't take a director or a VP to, to do customer service. Um, so your costs are minimal, it's high profit, and uh, therefore you can scale it appropriately. So to, to me, those are some of the main things to look at when figuring out what's the value, what's the price. Well, so, you know, you actually touched on this uh, briefly uh, earlier on. So I know with COVID, uh, a lot of associations are losing members. So and with that in mind, you think it's wise to keep the, keep the prices the same or to uh, adjust for the, you know, that, that possible loss? I think, again, this is in general. So it really depends. This is not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. My goal would always be to the best of your ability, keep your price. Again, does that mean that you might need to adjust? You might, you might not. Whoever's listening right now, it, it depends. So it's hard, I can't really say specific. Um, but what I can say is that it's really hard to raise your price. It's easy to lower it, but it is hard to raise it. So when you go from, again, the 400 down to 200, to then go back up to 400 in a year or two, your people are gonna say, but you were able to do it for 200, what else are we getting? Are you doubling the value that we're getting? Mm. So it becomes much harder long-term, which is another part of discounting and why I'm not, it's not your first, it's like a last resort. Um, So you want to be careful with that. Some of the ways if you're going to do something like that. So if you're an association that knows, knows, knows that you have got to concede a bit for your members sake, then I'm, I'm okay with that. But the way that you do it again is it might not be across the board. It might be you're underemployed or unemployed. And this is something special. Or if you're going to do it across the board, which I, I bet less than 1% of the people listening to this would even need to do that. Um, But if you were going to lower it across the board, then you make it very clear on the statement that this is $400 with a $200 um, global pandemic discount or, or, you know, concession and therefore your total is 200 so that psychologically they don't say, oh, the price is now 200. They say it's 400. I'm getting 200 off so that next year, hopefully, or by the following year at the latest, ideally, uh, we, you take that concession off and the top number still stays the same. Um, so you have to consider your positioning, basically. How do you present the price? How do you communicate it? And why are you doing it? Um, for me, that's, that's really important. But I would say in general, if you're going to do something, right. do some kind of a one-time, one-on-one, um, unemployed, underemployed. Yeah, yeah. And still put that on the invoice as well. This way they understand yeah. it's normally this much, but you're getting it for this much. And when, you get, when you're fully employed, that's our goal, is that by you staying a member of our organization, we're going to help you find that next job and land it. And then you can go back to normal when your next renewal comes. That's the goal of staying a member with us. Wow. In terms of the sponsorships for an event, how do you articulate to them the value they're going to receive? Is that just purely, you know, just brand recognition, the impressions? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this is a good time for sponsors, I think, um, because I think everyone was getting kind of tired of just logos on websites and banners and, standing around in a trade show hall where people are kind of avoiding you like the plague. (laughs) Um, So I think it's a good time to be a sponsor and get some more value. And I think it's a good time for associations to to give more value. 
Um, for me, I think, you know, hopefully a lot of people have kind of started figuring this out at this point in the year. But um, for me, a lot of it comes down to real analytics that you can share within a digital environment. So it's not just impressions, but it's clicks. It's can you include a scheduler tool to bring the demo to them? Um, can they opt into a certain list that you might share with people if you don't normally share your list? Um, can you have scheduled demos where people can pop in and out and watch maybe without signing up? Because that feels like a whole thing. If I'm shopping for, I actually had a member of our organization send me a message today saying, I'm shopping for software, please don't tell anyone. Because they don't want the hounds, you know, all the sponsors coming to them and going, this big chemical company is searching for new software. That's going to be a six figure deal. Let's, let's go. Um, it's like, don't, but he was asking, what do you think? And, you know, I, I think somewhere where people can just kind of go see, see the demos. Um, so some things that I've seen that I love are including pre-recorded sponsor demos on your website or within the trade area that people don't have to opt in. They can just go watch. Um, I like seeing sponsors as speakers, but it being educational content. Mm. That's a big thing for the education departments at associations and the sponsor departments as well. Don't sell it as a demo or as a sales pitch. If you're going to have a track for sponsors and say, you can be a part of this track for X amount, but it has to be an educational topic, then vet them the same way. Look at the deck, look at the abstract, mm. make sure that it's, that it's, sharing real knowledge and education and transformation and not their dashboard or not what they do or the service that they provide, but real value and saying, here's what you could do in general with software or in general with the consultant or in general with whatever the, the partner is, the building materials, if it's, you know, a, a more of a trade association, here's what you could do with this or, or how you can increase efficiency. And then that will naturally trust that sponsor so then maybe say okay let me do a demo with you because all that sounds good now i got to figure out what tool to use to get there and you provide that tool so let me talk to you um so i think in general you know the 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 brand awareness and recognition is important i think in general as long as the sponsors know that they have the same face that the others do they care about that um but outside of that i think it's got to be more about partnering um, another thing that i'm really big on is looking at your strategic plan, not just for pricing and monetization, but also for sponsorship. What are you trying to do in the next three to five years that your sponsors can be a part of? How can they, so surveys that you want to do, research that you want to do, can they sponsor that? Um, um, I, I've had sponsors cover um, diversity luncheons that we've done where, you know, we're trying to talk more about diversity, equity, and inclusion within the pricing field and because it's, it's very diverse from a racial standpoint, but not so much from a gender standpoint. So what are we doing about women in pricing? And how can our sponsors maybe sponsor the luncheon, cover the food, cover the costs so that we can do this at a conference? And then that aligns value because then when the people attending go, I want a provider who believes the same things that I believe. Well, now I know this company has the same values that I have and my company has. So they might be the ones that we pick because if both software platforms do the same thing, basically, just look a little bit different, right? It's a different UI, but they do the same thing. I'm gonna go where my values align. So how can you bring them into the things that you're trying to do and really make an impact that way? Um, so for me, that's, that's what sponsorship, it has to be about partnering, bringing them in along for the ride, figuring out where they can put their dollars besides logos 
an email blast because that's not that effective. To me, that that's just given. No matter what they sponsor, that's just part of showing up right. to the show. Wow. That is so good. <laughs> that is so good. I, I didn't even think about the, you know, the idea of, of having the, the not the, a lot of people having them come in and be a part of the, the conference to, to speak, for example. Yeah. But to speak, not so much say I'm doing a demo, but to talk about something that's going to be educational, that's going to provide value. Yeah. And by, by the audience hearing that, there's a recognition of, okay, this person believes in what they're doing here. So therefore I want to connect with them. And yep. then it goes for like a, a long-term like partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it doesn't even have to be directly related. It can be indirectly adjacent. So let's say that someone provides a software that helps with, you know, with sales, then maybe just give a talk on negotiations or current sales tactics or how to sell politely during a global pandemic, right? So it doesn't have anything to do with your software, but it does have to do with what your software helps with and enables so that might be something that, that you do, or if you provide building materials, I'll use that example again. You know, you might not talk about how great your steel is or, or whatever the heck you offer, but you might talk about what are some efficient ways to do a site visit right now, like during COVID with masks, you know, with less staff or distancing, what are the most effective ways to do site visits and make sure that things are moving along? It's adjacent where they're learning something that they need, but it's adjacent to where I'm probably going to need what you offer because it's all interconnected. So to me as a sponsor, that's the best way to position yourself is as a thought leader in that space. Last two things for you. Do you yeah. have any advice for associations who are struggling right now uh, in the midst of the pandemic? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, um, I'll say two things. One is if you have not taken reserves and digital transformation seriously before the pandemic, please do once you bounce back. Because, and that's not a, I told you so, it's, it's heartfelt when I say that, but the future is digital. Virtual is not gonna go anywhere. We'll be back to in-person at some point, but digital is not going anywhere. And your reserves have to be, this is why pricing matters. Your reserves have to be there. You have to be able to keep going. Um, but the second thing that I would say is, is hold on. Your organization exists for a reason. You have a mission. Um, you you incorporated. You got your C six. There is a reason that you've done everything that you've done up to this point, and people need you. Members need you. You fill some gap where you're needed for knowledge and authority and networking, bringing people together and advancing them in their careers, or or as an entire profession if it's a trade. Um, so hold on. Keep that mission front and center. You might have to make some tough decisions but this is not gonna be forever. So keep that mission front and center and, and, and make decisions based on that, let that be your filter. But when we get out of this, if this was rougher than it needed to be, focus on digital transformation and on building up your reserves because that it's gonna happen again. It happened 10 years ago. It happened you know, almost 10 years before. I mean, recessions and economic downturns going to happen every 10, 20 years. So plan for it, be ready for it next time. Wow. If people want to connect with you, mm -hmm. uh, where do they go? How can they do it? Yeah. So I actually just launched uh, pricingforassociations.com. And so michaeltatnetty.com is still there and, and it basically kind of links over. But pricingforassociations.com is the website. It has articles, videos, case studies, all that on there. Um, you can also learn more about 
uh, my consulting there and I speak and train and all that, all that good stuff is there. Um, otherwise LinkedIn is where I'm most active. So you can just search Dr. Michael Tatsonetti um, on LinkedIn and, and I share all my content there as well. A lot of great content tons of tons of value <laughs> so thank you so much for for being on the show so ladies and gentlemen dr michael tatanetti thank you so much for being with us yeah thank you for having me caleb if you are looking for more great interviews like this one or tools to build your organization's online community be sure to visit our website sinji.com we'd love to connect with you and thank you again for joining us on this episode of Sinji Talks.